This is an ABC podcast. Ben, Monday and Thursday from 5pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. And of course, you can catch up anytime in the podcast store under the best of Grandstand Folder. Now, we thought today, let's look, maybe maybe hoped, maybe thoughts a little bit strong, but we, we had hoped that we were talking about Australia's first medal in men's basketball at the Olympic Games. It's not to be, but one of our greatest exports, Andrew Bogut. He's going to join us. He was part of the call team on the Seven Network. He's going to stop by to pull it all apart after the Boomers losing to Team USA. So they'll play for bronze against either the French or Luka Doncic's team from Slovenia. So we've got plenty of Olympics for you, or the footy. A heap happening there. I'm looking ahead to round 21, three to go. I'm Corbin Middlemass from the lockdown capital of the country. Lockdown number six. Unfortunately for Melbourne today, Ben Cameron's out in beautiful Perth. Hello, Ben. Hello, Corb. Good to be here in back-to-back shows here on Corbin and Ben. We're going to have the two best big men in basketball Australia has ever produced. Luke Longley joined us back on Monday ahead of his Australian Story Part 1, which I watched over Tuesday and Wednesday. And today, Andrew Bogan is going to join us to dissect our defeat at the hands of Team USA. So... Uh, very exciting for all of you Hoops fans. I'm going to give you a little bit of time too for our audience out there, Ben. Mm. Uh, if you haven't caught up with the Australian story, it's over two parts. So part two comes out on Monday. You don't even have to watch it the traditional way on ABC TV and on Monday night. You can catch up through iView. It's also uploaded to YouTube in full. So you can sit down and catch up. And then next Thursday when we meet, so this time next week, Ben, we'll pull it all apart like we did with mm. the last dance and have uh, a proper chat about uh, the Luke Longley Australian, Australian story then. One last thing about it. Incredible, the first episode. It was brilliantly done, so well done to the Australian Story team, obviously a part of our network, but that is genuine. And they did really well to get Michael Jordan, Steve Kerr, uh, Scotty Pippen. They also had... Um, who else did they have? Uh, our man Sam Smith was involved, the beat writer, Phil Jackson. Mm. So well done to the crew. And I do think MJ realised that... Oops, we made a little faux pas leaving out Luke as part of the last dance and maybe I owe him one and I'll feature on this. And like I said, we'll chat about it next Thursday. So mm. there's Ben's okay. little quick recap. Uh, the NRL's on tonight on ABC Sport Digital. Start of week 21 of the NRL season. The Knights and the Broncos, Ben, just after 7 o'clock. Guess who's joining the boys tonight? Rugby League. The man himself, Peter Volandis, is going to be a special guest as part of the pregame to talk about the uncertain times ahead uh, for the NRL. Although, it must be said, things are looking on the up in Brisbane. We are predominantly an Aussie rules show, so I must get into it off the top. Ben, we didn't have time for this on Monday. Let's flesh it out, throw it out. Tex Walker gets us going here. An alleged racial slur heard by... Members of the Adelaide Crows footy club in a sample game, the slur was allegedly toward an opposition player from North Adelaide, uh, but picked up by members of his own team. Flesh it out, throw it out. Flesh it out, and I think the really interesting part of this is that it wasn't heard by North Adelaide. It was heard by members of the Adelaide Crows who have seemingly then reported it. And the question becomes, he was absent from training today, Taylor Walker, as um, I think that tells you that 
something significant is at play. The question becomes, what is a fair punishment for Taylor Walker if this is proven to have taken place, Corbin Middlemass? Oh, tough one to answer. I think we need to know the details around it to begin with. Uh, I'd be fascinated to know even how Texas is handling it because it's one of the things, if the accusation comes internally, it's pretty hard to deny. Mm. So he's, he's going to have to be completely transparent. I find it hard to think that a 31-year-old guy that's been the captain of a footy club for such a long period of time would have something in his reflexes that, that comes out of his mouth quickly. And maybe we just knock around in different circles, but I, mm. I, I, surely that's not the sort of thing that's happening in Texas' circle of friends, that that's his reflex action. Does it point to a bigger issue inside the AFL if that is the case? Yeah, that's why I just I would love to know so much more about it. I have so many mm. questions here, and I hope that it's not the sort of thing that's just swept under the carpet and Adelaide turn around and say, look, we've dealt with it internally and it's done. Um, because it, it's now that it's been reported and a great bit of journalism, it, it needs some explaining. Mm, it does. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we need to know more details about it, what was said. Um, but clearly, uh, I mean, not clearly, seemingly it was egregious if someone who is a part of his football club at the Adelaide Football Club has then reported it. Oh, it's, it's, so far it's not looking good. And that's why I no. think as much as anything, it's, it's going to need further explanation. Mm. Uh, flesh it out, throw it out there. Nick Del Santo, the new coach of the Saints AFLW team. Flesh it out, Corbin. And I'm going to try and explain this as best I can. And I hope people understand or pick up what I'm putting down here. So I feel that Nick Del Santo and Lisa Alexander are actually muddying the waters of things at the moment, Corbin. So what's happening with both of them? And there's a bit of a discussion. Lisa has mentioned a couple of times that she feels like she could go and coach an AFL club um, because of her high performance background with the Diamonds. Is that I feel like in both of these instances, it's not actually a gender-based argument, which is where people get confused. The arguments involving both of them, it revolves around subject matter expertise. So the issue with Nick Del Santo is that he actually doesn't have subject matter expertise in coaching. He hasn't coached. He hasn't worked as an assistant coach. He hasn't coached the women's game, which if you speak to anyone involved, AFLW is played very differently to the men's game. And you need to coach differently when you're coaching a women's side as opposed to a men's side. And the same goes for Lisa Alexander, that She's coached a high-performance team, but she doesn't have any subject matter expertise when it comes to AFL. She doesn't want to go and coach at AFLW level or at the VFL level to potentially learn what she doesn't know in that sort of thing. This is where gender does become involved because it seems like Nick Del Santo is a job for the boys' selection, Mm -hmm. that it's a purple circle pick. And generally, Corbin, in life, if it walks like a duck, looks like a duck and quacks, it's usually a duck. So I think we can agree that that's what that is. But that's the issue. It is more about subject matter expertise and the lack thereof rather than a gender-based argument. And that's where people are getting confused, Yeah, I I think. think. I think there's a role for Lisa Alexander in footy. I'm not sure it's as the senior coach. Of course. But I think she could add a lot to a a football department. And I think that's the thing that's worth pointing out. Nick Del Sano has become sort of the lightning rod for the conversation. The conversation's really... It's not about Nicky Dell. It's really important to be had. But uh, on face value, he's completely without uh, credentials. And what 
the the knock is always on women who apply for these roles is they don't they don't have the same credentials as some of the other coaches and so you can't use that argument here so what argument are you using what we're simply saying is the opportunity that is afforded to nick either should be afforded to everyone or shouldn't be afforded to anyone. Mm. So if it should be awarded to anyone, why isn't some player, some retired player, whether they're of colour or they're a woman, why aren't they given those opportunities the same way that it always feels like the guys from the same sort of background get given? So Nick Del Sano is a former AFL footballer, but that's really all he's done that, as a part-time coach. That same opportunity wouldn't be awarded to Erin Phillips. She couldn't come straight out of the game and end up coaching a men's team, for example. So it, it doesn't work in reverse. Um, and I think that's sort of worth pointing out. Uh, the Rooney rule that we see in the NFL, Ben, flesh it out, throw it out. Does it have a place in our game? It does, but I don't have an idea as to how I would implement it right now. So I think we'll throw that out for now, Corbin. Okay. For people that don't know the Rooney rule as well, essentially came into effect where it's it's, it's affirmative action, uh, where you must interview people from different backgrounds as part of the selection process. So it doesn't guarantee you a job, but what it does, it gives you a seat at the table and it makes owners interview people uh, that are of sort of different backgrounds than themselves that perhaps wouldn't have ordinarily got a seat there. So, mm. And it puts them in front of owners so that if a job becomes available down the track, they think, hey, I remember interviewing this person, for example, and they were super impressive and they're already on the radar of, um, of employers going forward. It's further been developed in recent years to uh, compensation. So if you employ someone from a minority background, you are given uh, compensation picks the same way yeah. we see in free agency, which are in Dispensation. The, the third round in the draft. Uh, the key forwards of the golden of in a, what is coming into a golden decade, Ben. So the young key forwards, I haven't done a good job at explaining that, but flesh no. it out, throw it out. Uh, flesh it out, and I'll need to start by fleshing out the explanation. We've got seven really exciting key forwards for the next decade, I think. Yep. If you could pick one at your club or were to seed them seven to one, one being the best, seven being seventh, which order would you place them in? So the names I'm speaking about Aaron Norton, the King Twins, Oscar Allen, Harry Mackay, Georgiades at Port Adelaide, and Nick Larkey at North Melbourne. How would you seed them seven to one, Corbin Middlemass? Who was the guy you said before, after Norton, but before Harry Mackay? Good to see you've really prepared hard for the show today. Larkey, Georgiades, Mackay, Allen, Norton, and the King Twins. But you didn't hear it when Allen is what you said. Oscar you Allen. S- yeah, you've got to slow down when you speak about it. Um, in, in order from one to seven as to how yep. they're situated right now, uh, I'd probably have Max King number one, Aaron, yep. Aaron Norton number two, Ben King number three, Harry Mackay number four, uh, Oscar Allen five, Georgiati six, Larky seven. Maybe, mm. se- maybe seven, Georgiati six, Larky. How would you go? Uh, yeah, I've got Larky at seven, Georgiati's six. I've got Allen at five. Cool. So at, we're the same there. So top yeah. four? I think th- those three are relatively easy. Then I've got um, Allen. Good to see you prepared. Norton. You're not ready to go. You're just no, I now am. saying I Allen am. at number four. You said Allen was in the bottom three. So have you got him again sorry, in the top sorry, four? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Ben King. Yes. Mackay. Max King. Norton. Norton one or Norton four? Mm. Norton one. Norton one. So we've gone in reverse mm. order the whole way up. Mate, you threw me off mine. That was a smooth second. Was, that was a good topic. Oh, uh, proper prior preparation prevents poor performance. Which game has the most at stake this weekend? Flesh it out, throw it out. 
Uh, oh, we can throw that out. We've got more to get to. Dan. I know there's a lot at stake. You'll try and sell me on why you think your top ten and your uh, your wildcard games are worthy when we've got GWS Essendon, Richmond, Carlton, St Kilda, none of whom deserve to play finals. Are we doing this again? Yep. We'll, we'll back over it. Okay. Beep, beep, beep. So that, well, do you want me to explain why it's beneficial? Well, it's beneficial because the actually more competitive games, Ben, are going to be those teams that we would say are mediocre or average playing against one another. So if they played a finals game against each other to earn a spot inside the real finals being the top eight and played wildcard games, it would create extra interest. If you put any of those teams... I'm glad that you are... made that point because are you one of these people who think because the game's close, it's a great game or it's competitive? If you play 17th and 18th, and they're equally matched and mm-hmm. it's close, that doesn't make it a great spectacle. Okay. You earn the right to play finals because you're a good team oh, cool, cool. and you're one of the because, eight because best no, teams in the competition. Because in English football, nobody cares about the playoff elimination game to see who goes down to the next division. They only play that for the top. They don't play that for yeah. the, the bottom. But people people care. That's the teams that are trying to get into the higher league. Yeah. The teams in the bottom three just get relegated. Yeah, and that's not an interesting race towards the back end of the season when two teams are playing each other in a final regular season game or late in the year. And but those you, are the slots that are decided. Drop zone, and then all of a sudden you're out. So it's still interesting because they're evenly matched and they're playing for a game which has ramifications on it. What you need to do, Ben, is elevate it in people's minds. Make them think that it's important. And all of a sudden you're able to attract an audience. So um, what it would mean is that it's a tougher qualifying period and you have to earn your keep. And so it sort of creates this illusion in people's minds that not only have they qualified for the top 10, they've also qualified to play one of the top six teams who have then been waiting and had the week off. And you're actually trying to create a little bit of momentum for those teams that are just crawling to the finals. Because as you say at the moment, Ben, it isn't interesting that the teams look like Mm. they're going to limp into the bottom end of the top eight where we want them sort of surging in coming off an impressive performance in a wildcard game. I can't agree you're making, with you. You're making my case for me. Dan Venables retiring yesterday at 22. Flesh it out, throw it out. Uh, we probably don't really have time to oh. flesh this out, but I do want to speak or play a few grabs that I heard from Dan Venables on ABC Radio Perth here in WA today. Listen to some of these, Corbin. We will flesh this out before we get to Andrew Bogut. And tell me this isn't completely terrifying. I was like vomiting. Um, the next day, I had migraines. Like my head just felt like it was going to that said explode. Um, it was it was very it was very strange. Like I've never really had headaches like that before in my life. Um, and like migraines like that. Um, lack of sleep, but it's more like the like it's, I think everything just compounded over time, and everything accumulated over time. And the more like I guess my body kind of broke down. Um, the longer these symptoms lasted is, is really when it started to take its toll on me. He didn't even have a concussion, Corbin. What he actually had was this. Listen to Dan speaking about this. Uh, I didn't actually have a concussion. I had a, a it's called a, a, a mild traumatic brain injury. I had, I had seven, um, seven bleeds in my brain. Um, so it's actually, it's actually different to a concussion. So not a concussion. And then this, or these are the symptoms that he's still living with to this day. There's been no patterns to any of my symptoms, but I had, I had headaches for for well over a year straight for 24 hours. You know, pressure in my head, um, just all the time, never leaves. Um, I've had just mig- migraines um, on top of migraines. I, I don't really sleep much anymore. Um, I don't really sleep much anymore. That is truly horrifying to listen to. I think. Oh, absolutely. And that's one collision, Ben. Mm, that's one not collision. a collision. That's not a cumulative effect. 
So if you think, you know, why the AFL are going to such great measures to try and limit the amount of head injuries, that's, unfortunately, that's a prime case. This guy at 22 years of age has had to retire from AFL footy as a premiership player. You know, what, top 15, top 12 pick in the national draft, and mm. now it's all over for him at a young age. I made this. I was on um, a television show, Ben, that the ABC does called Offsiders a few weeks ago, and I was involved you on in that? A, a little bit of a um, Barney with Roy Masters on the couch when we were talking about the crackdown in the NRL. And I used the example at the time, and it's, it's harder to flesh things out, Ben, on, uh, on television as it is on radio. That's why we have a segment like that here. Uh, but essentially what happened with the sport of boxing, Ben, and you know I talk about boxing all the time, mm. it's hard for Do people you? to imagine that 80 years ago, Ben, people were crowded around the radio to listen to a prize fight. Literally listen to people describe what was happening in the boxing. It was the most popular sport when Muhammad Ali, and and even after that, obviously, when Ali um, became a big thing in the the 60s and the 70s. So it was the the most popular sport worldwide, Ben, and there was no bigger prize in sport than being the heavyweight champion of the world. If you went back 50, 60, 70 years ago and you said to someone, hey, in the year 2021, boxing's going to be a niche sport that's hidden away on pay TV. You're never going to hear about it, even when the heavyweight championship's contested. Unless you read sort of a few pages back from the paper in a small column, you won't know that it's happening. People would think, get out of town. As if that's possibly going to happen, you're crazy and you get laughed out of town, Ben, for thinking that boxing was going to become a minority sport. There is a very real possibility, and it sounds, again, oh, that's an amazing, that's a stupid thing to say, that our footy codes could be the same thing 60, maybe not even that far into the future, Ben. Maybe 40, 50 years from now, if they don't take drastic action, it, it's not going to be a thing that the risk is just worthwhile nowadays when we develop it's not more. not the price as, of doing business. Correct. As, as human beings, we learn more and we realise that it's not a risk worth taking. So um, I, I think that'll be uh, sort of over time that if the sports don't actually take measures to limit sort of high-speed collisions that cause severe brain injuries, it's every chance, Ben, our footy coats could become a, um, become a niche sport and people will gravitate worldwide towards sports like basketball, for example, Ben, that are mm. still you know, athletic sports but not as physical as, um, as tackle football. Just quickly, we're about to speak basketball. The boomers going down today to Team USA. Basketball is a sport that has the wind at its sails for any number of reasons. It embraces its stars... It's linked closely to pop culture. It's a game that can exist in a very small area due to the fact that we have high-density cities. You can play it in a a very confined area as long as you've got a bucket, and it can always be scaled. You can play one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, four-on-four, up to Mm. five-on-five like you would in the real thing. It has a lot going for it, and the fact it's a non-contact sport with limited opportunities to have serious brain injuries is one of them. Has the wind at its sails basketball worldwide, doesn't it, Corp? Absolutely. And that's why the sport, mm. uh, our sports need to do everything they can to, um, you know, within reason, to try and get us as few concussions as possible. Um, and that's, that's why they're taking the action they are. This is Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport. Tonight, Ben, uh, there is NRL. It's on your radio on ABC Sport Digital. So our coverage starts just after 7. The footy starts at 10 to 8. These are Australian Eastern times. The Knights and the Broncos and Peter Volandis, the boss of the game, is going to join Andrew Moore and the crew as part of the build-up. So all that to come tonight, the Knights and the Broncos to start round 21. And the NRL up next, the Boomers playing for bronze again at back-to-back Olympic Games, still searching for that elusive medal, but losing the semi-final today to the United States. Andrew Bogut, who was part of the call team on seven, is going to join us next. 
on Hard Quiz. Only the most important facets of human knowledge are put to the test. Which US rapper's name sounds like a brand of colourful chocolate? Topics chosen are critical to the evolution of the human race. The palindrome rotator is what word spelled backwards? And experts are treated with the utmost respect. Well, I'm afraid your parachute hasn't opened this time. You are plummeting <laughs> to earth. Catch Tom Gleason with all new episodes of Hard Quiz. Back Wednesday, August 18 on ABC TV and streaming on iview. Oh, Ben, it was all going so well. Australia up by 15 points midway through the second term and then the Team USA just taking over, eventually winning by 19. They outscored the Boomers 71 to 37 from that point on. Andrew Bogut, one of our greatest basketball in exports, NBA champion and part of the call team today for Channel 7 and throughout the Olympics. Uh, Andrew, thanks for joining us again on Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport across the country. No worries, tough one. It was. Uh, so from 15 up in the second quarter, uh, outscored heavily thereafter. What went wrong? Oh, what didn't I think? I think, um, you know, these games, gold medal games, um, semifinals, championship games in whatever league you're playing, finishing quarters off is paramount. And I mentioned it in the first quarter, you get those last two minutes, teams can kind of edge back or build a lead. And we, you know, we were, we were firing. Everything was going well for us defensively. We were playing very, very well. We're getting out on the break and getting whatever we wanted on the offensive end. And we just kind of let our guard down a little bit, let them get back in the game where they thought they could get back in within striking distance and turn the ball over late. We, we, we really looked we really look good with the ball for the first 16-odd minutes of that half. And then the last four minutes had two or three turnovers in succession. And bang, they, they get it back to a three-point game. And I think they stole some momentum into halftime. So it's always a, a combination of both. But if you had to say one, was it more good USA or bad boomers from that point on halfway through the second quarter? Well, look, I think the second quarter, Lull, I think was bad boomers more than anything. I think we, we just didn't finish off that quarter. But then in in the second half, third quarter, fourth quarter, it was it was a mix of both. Um, you know, we once the floodgates opened, we just couldn't reel it back. Once it got to 10, 11, 12, it then ballooned to 20, 22, and we just couldn't reel that kind of margin back. So it was a mix in the second half. But I feel like, you know, we went from up 15 to down 20 in, in the space of you know, a quarter of basketball, and that that's just not going to get it done. Now, Corbin's very rational, Andrew, and he's a, a, a big basketball fan. I'm emotional. I felt like we got a bad run with the whistle. Did we, in your learned opinion? I agree we did. We, we lost the benefit of most of those calls. I mean, the, the one in the first half um, where Nick Kay got by his man, and they missed it. Then, then their referees tee us up after missing it. Um, that, that potentially could have been an intentional foul too. It could have ballooned our lead to 18, 19, 20. So I agree, but not 20 points worth of, of bad calls, if that makes sense. So you got to give some credit to the USA. They outplayed us in that second half. But in the first half, I don't know what the referees were watching. We didn't have Andrew Baines, who uh, hurt his... Neck Aaron, and then Aaron, Aaron yep. Baines, sorry. We didn't have, I don't know why I said Andrew. Talking to Andrew. Aaron it's a Baines. great name. It's a great name, Andrew. <laughs> well, it's confusing with you and uh, Andrew Gaze on the broadcast. It's uh, sort of like that Spider Man meme where you're both pointing at each other. But Aaron Baines <laughs> hurts his neck, uh, then slips in his bathroom. We don't have him. How much of a difference could he have made? Look, he's. 
probably the only physically imposing guy that would have got minutes. Um, we had Dewop, obviously, he didn't play a lot. But Baines, with this system, would have been tough because they play small, obviously. But he's a guy that's going to lay wood on you, you know, and we miss that in this lineup. Doc does a fantastic job with what he does, so does Nick Kay. But Aaron Baines, I don't think we had one moving screen in that whole game. And what that tells me is you don't want to have a lot of them, but at times if you get one or two and you get away with 10, it works in your favour. And Aaron Baines is a guy that sets brutal screens for guys like Paddy Mills and Joe Ingles. And I think we just missed that a little bit, his physical presence. Um, only playing about 15 minutes a game in the Olympics, but I think we kind of missed that a little bit of just a guy that can go in and belt someone. Well, I'm sitting there on the couch, Andrew. I'm hearing your opinions on the game, and I'm watching us play, and Baines is out injured. And it sort of made me think, I thought... Surely they, they could have approached you or said, hey, Andrew, have you got 15 minutes a game in your, to come out and play for us in an Olympic tournament like this? Did, did anyone approach you from the boomers leading in and did it ever realistically cross your mind that you could you could back up and play even despite the fact, obviously, you'd, you'd retired from professional basketball? Uh, Joe Ingalls was on me for the last... He basically sent a text message every month to the Olympics and make sure, you know, just grill you about it. But look, my body was, was past it. I don't think I would have been much use for the boomers at this point in my career in my life my body just was knocking on the door and even if i'd come back after a year-long break of not playing any basketball in any capacity it's just not not something i, I would have done um you know if the coronavirus is the other thing i've got two young kids the uncertainty of getting to japan and getting stuck there and the world shuts down that you know the, the the chopping and changing by our politicians on a daily basis I didn't want to, you know, go through all that on top of being an old man. So it was an easy decision. It was, there was some FOMO during mm. the tournament at numerous times and, and missing being with those guys and guys that I've kind of grown up with. But it was probably for the betterment of my myself for when I'm 50 that I can still be able to get up and down some stairs. Would you have played? I mean, these are all hypotheticals, I know. But if, if the tournament had taken place, the Olympics, as scheduled in 2020, do you think you would have made it? Oh, no, 100%. I was all in for that. Yeah, I mean, I'm on record. Like, I I retired at the end of the end of uh, 20. So mm. my whole plan with coming back to the NBL was to push all my chips on the table, go all in for 2020. So coming back to the NBL, finish that NBL season a little bit worse for wear, getting more and more sore, and that finished in April. And then I was going to take a month off and then start working out for camp, which was going to be in, you know, May, June, and then we're at the Olympics. And the whole world shut down. So you look out your window and, and, and the world was, was completely stagnant. So um, I, I was then tossing up, uh, what do I do? What do I do? Do I keep working out? Don't I? Body was still bothering me. I was at home with the kids, which I was enjoying a fair bit because I, I hadn't spent that much time with my own kids ever because I was always playing basketball. And I thought, you know what? It's time to hang them up. And, and by just November, December came to the decision, made the announcement. And um, yeah, to your point, Gorgian called me and they, they wanted me involved. Um, they even wanted me involved in the capacity of an assistant coach, but I just thought the best decision was to, to hang them up. Yeah, uh, to- time's a killer, isn't it, in that sense? It sort of doesn't <laughs> wait for anyone, and you sort of think what might have been, and if we didn't have back-to-back NBA seasons, what that would have meant for someone like Ben Simmons and a, a number of other guys. Um, but again, we're still live in the, the chance to try and get a medal, so I guess our attention now turns to the bronze medal match. We'll play either France or Slovenia. Uh, Luka Doncic obviously like lighting it up at the moment, but France still favourites heading into that game. How do you see the other semi um, playing out tonight? Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be an interesting game. You know, Luka Doncic, you just don't want to doubt him as an individual. Uh, from a team forefront, I think France has enough to get over the line. Um, I really do. I think they have some length that can try and stymie 
look, you're not going to stop Luka Doncic, very similar to Kevin Durant. You're not going to stop those guys. You're just going to make life as hard as possible and hopefully they get their numbers shooting a bad clip, right? So that's the same thing with Luka Doncic. You're just going to make sure that he's not getting it at an efficient rate. Um, so I'd pick France tonight. As far as the boomers go, it's the Olympics provide unique circumstances where you probably don't want to address what just happened too much. You don't want to dwell on the past and a bad loss. You want to shift all your focus towards preparing for whoever wins tonight's game. So it's it's kind of a you gotta you know say all right guys you know bad game hands in we're gonna improve on these two areas but we're we're focusing on either France or Slovenia moving forward. I've been talking about this a little bit throughout the Olympics, um, Andrew. When you look at Team USA and the evolution of the dream team, so 88 failed to win gold, 92 the next Olympics, the the best cast that's ever been assembled for Team USA. And then they go on this 12-year journey where all of a sudden their top-line players start to drop off and they're not the force that they once were. And then when they get to Athens, perhaps a little bit of complacency, they fail to win gold. And as a result, what we see after that is the Redeem team come together, the second-best cast ever assembled, and now we're in the same cycle again with USA Basketball, where 12 years on, 12, 13 years on, um, perhaps not the same sort of emphasis put on the Olympic program as what there has been at other times. With all that said, do you feel like they're vulnerable in the gold medal match, uh, the USA, depending on who they face, either the French or, uh, or Doncic or Slovenia? Look, I think France have a better chance of beating them just because of the roster makeup, but the US are beatable, you know, um, it's a one-off game in an Olympic Games or a FIBA basketball game, and that's the beauty of the tournament. You can you can have upsets all over the place, and I, you know, I, I guess they're 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 not as talented as they can be, but they've still got world-class talent on that roster. Like you, uh, you don't want to disrespect what they have on that roster. And I, I think the other factor is the world's catching up. The world has caught up. There were people that say, well, if there was LeBron and Steph and KD and all the best players were playing, it'd be easy for them to waltz in and win a medal. Well. I'm going to ask the question, who's, who's the guy getting screwed out of shots? Who's who's not getting what they're used to? Who's going to be a role player and do the dirty work? And they're all factors that then come into play as to why you can't take a team of stars. That old school dream team was a unique beast. I don't think we see that again because you need, you know, Drew Holiday today, he, he's not he's not a top 10 player in the league, I don't think, by most people's in most people's minds, but he's invaluable for what they do because he, he doesn't need the ball. He's happy to give it up at an early rate. He's happy not to take a wide-open shot. Very unselfish and a really good defender. So I think the world's caught up. Um, I think even with the best roster that they can physically bring, it won't be as easy as they think. Yeah, that was how it was phrased earlier on in the tournament with the USA, wasn't it? That perhaps it didn't resemble a, a real-life basketball unit with who gets their shots and a, a pecking order as as such. Hey, I'll, I'll finish on, off with some fun stuff here, uh, Andrew. Steve Kerr, your championship-winning coach, obviously a member of uh, the coaching staff for Team USA. Any banter between you two heading into today? No, nah, mate, no, nah, letting him focus on the on the uh, job at hand. Um, and, yeah, just, just making sure that they well, focus on the boomer stuff, but not really. A little bit of banter uh, with a few of my American friends. But as far as Steve goes, I'm sure his phone's, phone's pretty busy, so I stay away. Mm. Uh, I've got to finish with this as well. We had Luke Longley join us on, uh, on Monday and have a yak to us. And uh, I asked him about his muscle car collection. He said he sold all of them, lives on an extended dirt road down in the southwest of Western Australia, which we know. But he said, Andrew Bogut is the guy. Now, I guess the question is, where do the origins of your muscle car passion originate from? And uh, how many, if you're willing to tell us? 
Oh, a firm number. Yeah, enough. Double digits. <laughs> leave it at that. Um, pain in the ass, actually. Good problem to have. Don't get me wrong, but you realise you can't drive them all at once. So um, the worst thing about muscle cars and classics is not driving them, believe it or not, because all kinds of all kinds of stuff goes wrong. The passion for me came from I'm from the working class. I'm, my, my father was a fuel injection and carburetor specialist or mm. a better word for a mechanic but an actual specialist in carburetors so i just grew up around muscle cars and hotted up cars so i guess as a kid when i was in the warehouse with my dad and he's working on on clients cars i'd be dribbling a ball around them and drooling all over him because i you know you see all these high-end muscle cars that, that, are, that are you know the nicest cars australia's ever made and american muscle cars and you never thought you'd envision um owning one of them one day so that that's usually how most muscle car collectors start is they grew up working class or you know not being able to afford stuff and their dad was into them and then they come into wealth or some money and they go a little crazy and that's probably my storyline as well have you watched the luke longley australian story yet i have sensational very well done and what i appreciate about the story and asked luke you know, why Australian story? Um, from what I understand, he had no editorial uh, consent for it. So he left that completely up to Australian story to do. And I believe they don't like giving people editorial prowess, as you'd call it, um, was that he wanted to do it without any bells and whistles. And he wanted just the story told. He didn't want he didn't want the kind of current affair type stuff, the clickbaity stuff, the multi-million dollar Luke Longley. He wanted the story told for what it is. And at a at a normal human element, and I think they've hit it out of the park on the first thirty minutes, and I'm I'm really looking forward to that next thirty minutes. Have you been um, asked yet to do one? No, I haven't. I haven't. Yeah. I don't know if that call will come, but oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it will. <laughs> we'll see. I'm sure it'll come down the pike. Just... Yeah, I've got I've got a pretty unique pretty unique bunch of stories to tell that people wouldn't even, wouldn't even have uh, any clue over, but uh, we'll see yeah. what happens. They might be waiting for the resolution of your um, current battle with the, the Bayside Council, uh, Andrew, just to try and put that as nice little uh, string, <laughs> nice little bow tie on the uh, on the end of the story. Um, just last but nerdy basketball question from me. Obviously, we've got the NBA um, free agency window open at the moment and we're seeing these teams assembled on both coasts, one out of New York, one out of uh, LA, obviously, with the Nets and the Lakers. Um, who should be based on obviously these games are played out on the hardwood not on paper but from the rosters that you've seen assembled so far who should be the championship favorites going into the next season oh well, i mean yeah it's, it's a tough one um the lakers stacking up with i'm sure you just said you know an old roster that all above 30 it seems um brooklyn picking up patty mills I think we'll we'll definitely um, have have a chance with the bit their big three. For me, with coronavirus and everything going on, it's it's all it's all about staying healthy. If, if you can have a healthy roster towards the the, the the tail end of the season, you've got a chance to win a championship if you're one of the favourites. So, a lot of fans out there and people criticise load management and the sports science of keeping guys fresh. Well, you saw it last season. If if you're the freshest team and you have most of your guys healthy in a deep playoff run, you've got a good chance to win it. So I believe it's going to come down to health. If everyone's healthy and there's not one injury in the whole of the NBA, I think it's pretty hard to go past Brooklyn. Andrew, we always love your insights. Uh, you're always very generous with your time with us. I appreciate you jumping on again and having a chat. And fingers crossed the boys get home for, uh, for bronze in the, the bronze medal playoff. Thanks for joining us again on ABC Sport. No dramas anytime. Andrew Bogut with us again. This is Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport across the country. Uh, it'll be Saturday night too, Ben, by the way. So Saturday mm. night about, I think it's 9 o'clock roughly, Eastern time, the bronze medal playoff game. 
Fingers crossed that mm. elusive basketball medal will be coming home. It's been good in comments too, yeah, Andrew. For whatever reason, I just didn't think that would be a path that he would go down. But um, good insight. Very amenable with us, isn't he, to come on and yuck to us when we need him. So we appreciate that. We'll talk some Olympics next. You've got loaded either-or as well, centering oh, yeah. around coaches. Get into some of that next. This is Corbin and Ben. Step back to the ACs. Standby control room. Good evening and welcome to News at Six. The world is changing. Even Mikhail yeah, Gorbachev. Second explosion here on Russell Street. TV news is changing. 60 minutes are sending female reporters to war zone. <laughs> You're a war zone on two legs. For a star newsreader and promising young reporter. You know you're incredible. It's a roller coaster ride. Please don't tell anyone. Here we go again. The Newsreader. Bloody magic. Premieres Sunday, August 15 on ABC TV and streaming on iview. Now the footy tonight, of course, the NRL, the Broncos and the Knights. Before that, Peter Volandis to join our coverage, the chairman the ARL, so stick around for that just after 7 tonight, Eastern Time, here on ABC Sport Digital. All right, Corby, I'm ready for you with either or, but before we get there, I've noticed on Twitter, Yaksocks, at Yaksocks, has sent you a tweet. Mm. Hey, Corbs, what is the track you play under, flesh it out or throw it out? This one? So for the many wondering, yeah, Yaksocks, what's the name of that song, called? Would you know? No. No. I did reply to Yak Sox, by the way. Uh, Dr. Dre, what's the difference? There you go. Mm. Instrumental, of course. All right, Corbin, either or. I've gone with an administration slash coaching theme today. You know I like to theme these up. Last week it was Olympics. That's my theme this week. Would you rather be either a president or a CEO of an AFL club. Oh, I'll take my lead from Mark Duffield here, Ben, and it will depend on what coast I'm on. I was listening to um, Duff the other day. He's the chief footy writer at the West and, of course, part of our team for many years now at the ABC. And he said, and I'll paraphrase, uh, footy clubs, particularly on the east coast of Australia and throughout Victoria, are controlled or dominated by the influence of the president, whereas in WA, the two clubs are very much executive-driven. Mm. So my answer to that would be if I was in charge of one of the WA clubs, I'd want to be the chief executive. If I was in charge of a Victorian team, I'd want to be the president. Uh, I thought you were going to say that you'd rather be the CEO because at least you're taking a wage rather than the honorary position of the uh, the president. But there you go. If you were Brad Scott, would you rather either be the Collingwood coach or the AFL football boss? It's a great question. I think I'd want to be the Collingwood coach. Mm. I think the job would be more fulfilling. The AFL boss, although it would be a, be a fascinating role, and a lot of us feel like we've always got these great ideas to implement, you would have to answer to so many stakeholders, and it's a thankless role. Yep. So I actually think when you look back at Steve Hawking's tenure in totality, I actually think he's done a reasonable job. The game looks better. The key indicators, Ben, that you would want with in terms of congestion and scoring are actually tr- are trending in the right direction. And yet nobody's going to turn around and say, hey, Steve, thanks for the game. And mm. thanks for everything you've done in the role. Essentially what people always do is complain about things that are wrong with it. Uh, whereas the coach of the footy club, you're adored by thousands of fans. And particularly to be the coach of a club like Collingwood, the biggest club in the land, no matter what stage the list is at, um, that's a pretty cool role. It's fascinating mm. to in recent times, Ben, and Steve Hocking joins Mark Evans on this long list that 
People are turning down the boss of footy at the AFL to be a chief executive in Clubland. And I reckon we spoke about it at the time. I think we were surprised that the pecking order for those was sort of club CEO over footy operations boss. Mm. I think it's interesting in the sense that, well, Mark Evans went to Queensland. It's reported, uh, I think it's been spoken about, that that was with the aim of him becoming the AFL CEO. I don't think Steve Hocking thinks he's going to be the next... AFL CEO. So that might play some role in it. Why be in this thankless job? I'll go back to Clubland. Uh, would you rather either the Collingwood or the Hawthorne coaching job? Probably Collingwood. Hmm. It's on a list basis. Yeah, even though Hawthorne are the most successful team of the last 50 years and you, know, you can pick your sample size, 20 years, 10 years, 30 years. Uh, I think Collingwood still has a bit of gravitas about it. They're still the Pies. They're a big team. Uh, most supporters, most diehard supporters. So probably Collingwood. But we're splitting hairs. Mm. I think they're both great jobs. Mm. But with where their lists are at at the moment, which one? Pies, maybe. Top-end mm. talent's better. They've obviously got okay. work to do on the draft. Hawthorne probably have better kids, but yeah. Would you what, rather... What about you? Where would you go? Uh, probably Hawthorne just, but okay. I, I worry about their list. I think there's a bit of a dearth there of talent and kids and no picks coming through. Would you rather either Eddie Maguire or Jeff Kennett as your president? Eddie. But I'm, I've come from a media background rather than a political background, Ben, so maybe politicians mm. would be saying, oh, absolutely, Jeff. Uh, but mm. probably Eddie. Probably, or it's either or. There's no probably. Okay, it's take, like you're slightly underrated. I'll take Eddie. Okay, a cheeky question from me. Would you rather tell a secret to either Mick Malthouse or Caroline <laughs> Wilson? Cara. Cara is always going to protect me, absolutely, as a, yeah. as a source. But, um, mm. yeah, Mick, unfortunately, <laughs> they one slide the other day. I don't know if you caught up. Yeah. People haven't caught Just up on that. Just as an aside, I ran into Justin Reeves. I was having a coffee this morning. Ran to him. He uses the same cafe. And, I, and he said, he looked at me and just hunched his shoulders. He said, I've just got to keep wearing all these these big hits. They're coming my way. He said, quite frankly, you know, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a victim as much as anyone in this. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure you'd be stoked if you're Justin Reeves. Well, Caroline said last night that uh, he was mortified when he heard those comments. Mm. But... Uh, I spoke, well, we spoke to, Clint Wilden spoke to Mick today. Yep. I hope I'm not breaking confidence with this. Maybe maybe you need to add your name to the either or. Here we go. You're passing on a conversation secondhand. (laughs) We asked Mick if he'd seen Justin Reeves and he said he'd seen him at the coffee shop and said g'day and all was good during the week. So there you go. Who would you rather be, either David Teague or Stuart Jew? Jew. Mm, Stuart Jew. So, obviously, Gold Coast has had the hotter week. But is there... Do you think... So, I'll 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 put one back on you, Ben. Mm. Is there a greater chance that Alistair Clarkson is coming to coach either Carlton or Gold Coast in the near future? You've got to learn how to deliver your either-ors. It's, would Alistair Clarkson coach either Carlton next year or the Gold Coast Suns in the future? Carlton, obviously. That's exactly what I said. He'll be at Carlton. Um, Exactly what I said. Would you either rather coach West Coast or Adelaide? Sorry, I don't think you'll end up at Carlton, by the way. 
Where do you think he'll end up? Uh, I'm not sure yet. I don't. Th- I think the most likely scenario is he won't coach next year, which I think everyone's mm. been saying. Remembering um, Clarkson's guy is Brennan Bolton, so the interesting part is what happens here with Bolton. Bolton was at Carlton, ended horrendously, and now we're saying what Clarkson's going to go back as the main guy. I, I don't know. I doubt that. But oh, I'm okay. not as connected to it as other people like Caroline Wilson, for example, who's been right the whole way and she's been hot on the Carlton connection. Would you either rather coach West Coast or Adelaide as the big fish in a small town or a Melbourne club? Uh, West Coast won, then the Melbourne team's in between and then Adelaide last. Why Adelaide last? Because... I've got a long theory on this. Our content director, Tim Verrill, is a okay, hardcore Adelaide Wind down fan. the music and give us your, uh, your theory. Adelaide think they're West Coast, but they're nowhere near it. So West Coast are the big team in the two-team town that have all the equity of the premierships in the cabinet. Adelaide haven't got any of that. So they feel like that they're this big team that demands... Hang on, they've got two premierships. They feel like they're this team that demands respect in the competition. So they puff their chest out and think they're this titan of the competition when really what they are then is they're a very big team in what is a very small market, and that's all they are. But they haven't got the equity of being a dominant force in the competition the same way the West Coast Eagles do. The Eagles are a powerhouse. They're the team you want to be involved with. Um, and people get on me all the time, oh, you hate West Coast, you're so harsh on them. Oh, I'm just one of the few people, Ben, that will criticise West Coast. There's mm. there's not a lot of that that goes on. But I'm also envious of what the West Coast Eagles are. I wish I was a kid that grew up in Barrack for the West Coast Eagles and lived a happy life and my team played finals every year and won a premiership every couple of years. That would have been the perfect life to lead. But um, obviously it didn't pan out that way. But if, if you were a Martian drop from out of space, Ben, and you came to me and said, which side should I barrack for? Oh, the West Coast Eagles would be top five on my list. What a great existence that would be. Yeah, Eagles fans don't thing... realise how spoiled they are. No, they don't. They're but going to have a shocking year on... and play finals. Let me finish on Adelaide. But the issue with Adelaide, Ben, is the way the competition works in terms of equalisation is that you're meant to win one every 18 years. And their equity and their credits have run out because their premiership is much further back than 18 years now. They've won mm. two premierships in 97, 98. And really, from that point on, Ben, they featured in final series. They made a grand final, fell horribly off the cliff from that point on. And so they don't demand any more respect from the competition more broadly than we give teams like Essendon and Carlton, for example, that are these you know, seemingly powerhouse clubs but they don't have the the on field credits to back it up, so mm. they can't. So they don't. They haven't franked any of that on field. The only thing about the West Coast Eagles is they've got what I have phrased the nepotistic cannibalism. They prefer to eat their own at West Coast. Of course. So when they turn on you, yep. they turn hard, and the fans turn mm-hmm. on Adam Simpson. They're very critical of his game style, yep. very critical of recruiting. They have turned very very quickly, and they yep. turn on you. Particularly, it's not Correct. even it's not even necessarily nepotistic cannibalism. Because it's particularly when you're an outsider. Yep. If you're not one of their own, you know, if you're not a, a mm-hmm. John Worsfold who's back at the club as a coach and you're an Adam Simpson who's come from external, boy, do they turn on you. Did they get re- they realised that they'd reached the end of the line with John Worsfold and look at the way that they got rid of mm-hmm. Worsfold compared to the way the Bombers got rid of Heard, extenuating circumstances, Brisbane got rid of Voss, Buckley um, was ousted by Collingwood. So they were able to maintain relationships, Ben, with their greats on the way out, even getting them out of the chair. That They do a lot of things right, West Coast, when it comes to that front. And the other thing is, Ben, their fans, like you said, they don't put up with it. They turn on their own. They don't roll up when their team's not going well. <laughs> but what it does, Ben, is it drives a ridiculously high standard. So sure, they're impatient and they're... We, we sort of accuse them of not being very grateful, Ben, but it's either, you know, time to perform or we're not coming. 
And as a result, the team more often than not performs and they get successful teams and the whole operation works beautifully as a result Last of Last point on this. Uh, the AFL membership stats were released. The West Coast Eagles with the most members of any team in the competition. Richmond second. It's not surprised. Over 1.1 million members across the mm. Uh, competition, which means one in 23 Australians are a member of an AFL club. Wow. That's mm. pretty good. I mean, the West Coast mm. Eagles have also had the best chance to go to the footy of any members in the competition over the last two years as well. So mm. that has to be pointed out. Uh, a bit of Olympics chat. There's also the Pride game this weekend, Ben. I want to get into some of that. This is Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport. Year five, everyone else did their talk and then I got up with my picture and I said, this is my auntie Juanita. She was murdered by the King's Cross underground. And then I sat down. It was 46 years ago. Sydney journalist Juanita Nielsen disappeared. Now Kieran McGee has started looking for answers. There were killers. There were corrupt police. And there were people who wanted Juanita out of the way. Here, unravel true crime. Juanita on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. George Peter bowl last night, Ben, in the 800. I did. 800 metre Peter. He was flying for a lot of the race. I thought he was going to at least medal, but faded having to do a lot of the work. Uh, fingers crossed for Paris 2024 for... Uh, 800 metre Peter that he can bring home a medal, maybe even a gold one. I I don't have any sort of evidence to bring this up or any data. I haven't come prepared on that front, Ben. But mm. what it feels like when I put my finger in the wind that we have more rooting interests from our track and field team than really seems like any time yeah. in just about my lifetime. I can't remember really across different disciplines, different distances. Boy, it feels like we're put, we're really taking it up to the rest of the world. And we've got a number of Aussies featuring in finals. I know we've got Hull and Hall both through to the 1500, which is on later tonight. Yep, we have um, Ron Browning, who's Ron Browning in the flying hundred. in his heat. We've had, a lot of, up, unfortunately, we've had a lot of success mm. stories, even if they're not claiming medals, Ben. We, you know, we went through a few Olympics there, Ben, where we didn't even reach many finals. Yeah. And now all of a sudden we've got um, you know, guys and girls in contention. So I think the track and field team, we're thinking this whole thing was going to fall off the cliff, Ben, after the swimming, but... Um, it's been really exciting week. It's been great to watch Beach the track. volleyball been, medals. Yes. We've got them coming. Skateboard. The sailing's been great. What about our man Keegan uh, winning yeah. gold earlier today unexpectedly? What's, it, what's, his, uh, oh, what's his full name? I knew you were going to ask me that. You've got it written down there. Tell me what No, I don't. All I've, all I've got to say about it, I thought it was fully sick watching the, uh, the skateboarding earlier today. Keegan Palmer won yep. gold in the skateboard. Very young. How old is he? 16? No, 18. 18. 18 year old. It's a young person sport. There was yeah. Sky Brown, is it Sky Brown? Yeah, the 12-year-old. Uh, it was just 13, yeah. 13-year-old, that's what I said. Um, won a silver medal for uh, Great Britain in the skateboarding. Pride game this weekend, Ben, you wouldn't know it. St Kilda in Sydney on Saturday night. We asked to have Matt Finnis on the program today, the Chief Executive of St Kilda. Uh, the Saints haven't got back to us on that request, despite the follow-up. Um, oh, have you heard anything about it on any of the shows this week, that it's, it's uh, a thing no. and it's happening? Uh, I saw on social media the jumper designs for both teams, mm-hmm. and that was about it. That's all I've yeah. seen. So there was a moment recently, um, if you just indulge me for a little bit here, Ben, uh, Carl Nassib, who's a NFL player, yes, recently came out as gay. He became the first NFL player to do so. And the comparison was drawn on um, by Max Kellerman, who, of course, is a broadcaster I greatly admire, Ben, to Jackie Robinson breaking the colour barrier in 1947. So in 1947, Robinson went through the colour barrier. And that doesn't mean that 
racism's over and we finished it and all of a sudden it's an integrated league because it, it certainly wasn't mm. the case. But it was a significant moment where in the highest um, league of their particular profession nowadays, but certainly in their field back then, um, it, it showed progress and great symbolism that we were able to, to have a, a black man play in Major League Baseball. And obviously, as time progressed, um, we were able to see greater progress than what originally was the case. In one of their major American leagues, for the first time, three quarters of a century later, the first gay player who's actively on an NFL roster has come out. So what that shows you, Ben, is imagine the amount of bigotry that gay players must have felt for three quarters of a century that they didn't feel like not one of them over that particular period of time, Ben, was able to poke their hand up and say, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm gay. Mm. It's different to, to colour in the sense this is a really obvious comment to make. I mean... It's hidden away. It's unseen, your sexuality, often, mm-hmm. whereas when you're, you're of colour, it's, it's evidence from the start. So you don't have that choice to hide away. And, so and people make comments unknowingly, which is the bigotry you speak of, which makes it really difficult for people to come out, which mm. is the importance of, of language and casual language and, and making sure you're on point with that. So these, these games, Ben, are important because you know LGBT teens, for example... Um, are, are five times as likely to contemplate suicide than their straight peers. Five times, which is an incredible stat. And when you think of the percentage of gay people in the population more broadly, Ben, I mean, we, we all know that there has to be gay players. And it's mind-boggling to think that the fear that is involved in the bigotry that's existed for such a long period of time, that it's taken until 2021 for one of our major American team sports for someone to come out. Now, following that, Luke Prokop, who's a... NHL player also came out a couple of months later. But I speak about fear, Ben. It's also the fear of the people that are in sort of decision-making positions or their peers Mm. for the language that they're hearing, that they feel like if they were to come out, that it would have a detrimental effect on their career. And that's something that exists three quarters of a century after we're able to to, to take steps forward with our tolerance when it comes to to, um, to people of colour. So we got a lot of – a long way to go, and we talk a lot about sort of bravery and people coming out and how it's a, a brave thing to come out. Um, what essentially it is, Ben, it's a, it's a change of climate that people have been – it's actually the straight people that have been able to create a, a better climate for people to come out, and the progress is actually with them more than it is with, with gay people to actually feel like they can come out. Yeah, and uh... – Carl Naseeb, I think he led jersey sales for the next week or so, at least the 24 hours in the aftermath of his announcement, didn't he? So mm. um, it, it's coming in Australian sport. I'm not sure how soon or when or what it will look like, but it, it, it will come, won't it? Maybe. Maybe not. Mm. Serious note to finish on, uh, the NRL, Ben, tonight, the Knights and the Broncos. Peter Volandis to join us as part of our pregame. Enjoy the footy across the weekend. Thanks, Corb. Looking forward to it. We'll be back on Monday from 5pm. You can catch up in the podcast store under the best of grandstand. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.